when I published Ulysses by James Joyce in my little bookshop called Shakespeare and Company in Paris. Look, look, the dust is growing. My branches lost Lord James. Stately, plump, buck bargain. All perfume, yes, and his heart was going like mad. And yes, I said yes, I will, yes. Friends of Shakespeare and Company read Ulysses by James Joyce. Read today by Tara Mulholland. It had better be stated here and now at the outset that the perverted transcendentalism to which Mr. S. Dedalus's div skep contentions would appear to prove him pretty badly addicted runs directly counter to accepted scientific methods. Science, it cannot be too often repeated, deals with tangible phenomena. The man of science, like the man in the street, has to face hard-headed facts that cannot be blinked and explain them as best he can. There may be, it is true, some questions which science cannot answer at present, such as the first problem submitted by Mr. L. Bloom, pub Canv, regarding the future determination of sex. Must we accept the view of Empedocles of Trinacria that the right ovary, the postmenstrual period, assert others, is responsible for the birth of males? Or are the too long neglected spermatozoa or nemosperms the differentiating factors, or is it, as most embryologists inclined to opine, such as Culpepper, Spallanzani, Blumenbach, Lusk, Hertwig, Leopold and Valenti, a mixture of both? This would be tantamount to a cooperation, one of nature's favourite devices, between the nicest formativus of the nemosperm on the one hand and on the other a happily chosen position, succubitus felix, of the passive element. The other problem raised by the same inquirer is scarcely less vital, infant mortality. It is interesting because, as he pertinently remarks, we are all born in the same way, but we all die in different ways. Mr. M. Mulligan, Haig et Ugdok, blames the sanitary conditions in which our grey-lunged citizens contract adenoids, pulmonary complaints, etc., by inhaling the bacteria which lurk in dust. These facts, he alleges, and the revolting spectacles offered by our streets, hideous publicity posters, religious ministers of all denominations, mutilated soldiers and sailors, exposed scorbutic car drivers, the suspended carcasses of dead animals, paranoid bachelors and unfructified dwellers, these, he said, were accountable for any and every falling off in the caliber of the race. Calipedia, he prophesied, would soon be generally adopted, and all the graces of life, genuinely good music, agreeable literature, light philosophy, instructive pictures, plaster-cast reproductions of the classical statues, such as Venus and Apollo, artistic coloured photographs of prize babies, all these little attentions would enable ladies who were in a particular condition to pass the intervening months in a most enjoyable manner. Mr. J. Crothers, disc back, attributes some of these demises to abnormal trauma in the case of women workers subjected to heavy labours in the workshop and to marital discipline in the home, but by far the vast majority to neglect, private or official, culminating in the exposure of newborn infants, the practice of criminal abortion, or in the atrocious crime of infanticide. Although the former, we are thinking of neglect, is undoubtedly only too true, 
The case he cites of nurses forgetting to count the sponges in the peritoneal cavity is too rare to be normative. In fact, when one comes to look into it, the wonder is that so many pregnancies and deliveries go off so well as they do, all things considered, and in spite of our human shortcomings, which often bulk nature in her intentions. An ingenious suggestion is that thrown out by Mr. V. Lynch, back Arif, that both natality and mortality, as well as other phenomena of evolution, tidal movements, lunar phases, blood temperatures, diseases in general, everything, in fine, in nature's vast workshop, from the extinction of some remote sun to the blossoming of one of the countless flowers which beautify our public parks, is subject to a law of numeration as yet unascertained. Still, the plain, straightforward question, why a child of normally healthy parents and seemingly a healthy child and properly looked after succumbs unaccountably in early childhood, though other children of the same marriage do not, must certainly, in the poet's words, give us pause. Nature, we may rest assured, has her own good and cogent reasons for whatever she does, and in all probability such deaths are due to some law of anticipation by which organisms in which morbus germs have taken up their residence, modern science has conclusively shown that only the plasmic substance can be said to be immortal, tend to disappear at an increasingly earlier stage of development, an arrangement which, though productive of pain to some of our feelings, notably the maternal, is nevertheless, some of us think, in the long run beneficial to the race in general, in securing thereby the survival of the fittest. Mr. S. Dedalus's Div Skep remark, or should it be called an interruption, that an omnivorous being which can mastigate, deglute, digest, and apparently pass through the ordinary channel with pluto-perfect impertability, such multifarious elements as cankerous females emaciated by parturition, corpulent professional gentlemen, not to speak of jaundiced politicians and chlorotic nuns, might possibly find gastric relief in an innocent collation of staggering bob, reveals, as naught else could, and in a very unsavoury light, the tendency above alluded to. For the enlightenment of those who are not so intimately acquainted with the minutiae of the municipal abattoir as this morbid-minded aesthete and embryo philosopher, who, for all his overweening bumptiousness in things scientific, can scarcely distinguish an acid from an alkali, prides himself on being, it should perhaps be stated that staggering Bob, in the vile parlance of our lower-class licensed victuallers, signifies the cookable and eatable flesh of a calf, newly dropped from its mother. In a recent public controversy with Mr. L. Bloom, pub can, which took place in the Commons Hall of the National Maternity Hospital, 2930 and 31 Hollis Street, of which, as is well known, Dr. A. Horn, Lice in Midwest, FKQCPI, is the able and popular master, he is reported by eyewitnesses as having stated that once a woman has let the cat into the bag, an aesthetic allusion, presumably, to one of the most complicated and marvellous of all nature's processes, the act of sexual congress. She must let it out again, or give it life, as he phrased it, to save her own. At the risk of her own, was the telling rejoinder of his interlocutor, nonetheless effective for the moderate and measured tone in which it was delivered. Meanwhile, the skill and patience of the physician had brought about a happy accouchement. It had been a weary, weary while, both for patient and doctor. All that surgical skill could do was done, and the brave woman had manfully helped. She had. She had fought the good fight, and now she was very, very happy.
Those who have passed on, who have gone before, are happy too, as they gaze down and smile upon the touching scene. Reverently look at her as she reclines there with the mother light in her eyes, that longing hunger for baby fingers, a pretty sight it is to see, in the first bloom of her new motherhood, breathing a silent prayer of thanksgiving to one above, the universal husband. And as her loving eyes behold her babe, she wishes only one blessing more, to have her dear Dodie there with her, to share her joy, to lay in his arms that might of God's clay, the fruit of their lawful embraces. He is older now, you and I may whisper it, and a trifle stooped in the shoulders, yet in the whirligig of years, a grave dignity has come to the conscientious second accountant of the Ulster Bank College Green Branch. Oh, Dodie, loved one of old, faithful life mate now, it may never be again that far-off time of the roses. With the old shake of her pretty head, she recalls those days. God, how beautiful now, across the mist of years. But their children are grouped in her imagination about the bedside, hers and his. Charlie, Mary Alice, Frederick Albert, if he had lived. Mamie, Budgie, Victoria Francis, Tom, Violet Constance Louisa, darling little Bobsy called after our famous hero of the South African War, Lord Bobs of Waterford and Kandahar, and now this last pledge of their union, a Purefoy if ever there was one, with the true Purefoy nose. Young Hopeful will be christened Mortimer Edward, after the influential third cousin of Mr Purefoy in the Treasury Remembrances Office, Dublin Castle. And so time wags on, but Father Cronian has dealt lightly here. No. Let no sigh break from that bosom, dear gentle Mina, and Dodie not the ashes from your pipe, the seasoned briar you still fancy when the curfew rings for you, may it be the distant day, and doubt the light whereby you read in the sacred book, for the oil too has run low, and so with a tranquil heart to bed, to rest. He knows, and will call in his own good time. You too have fought the good fight, and played loyally your man's part. Sir, to you my hand. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. There are sins, or, let us call them as the world calls them, evil memories, which are hidden away by man in the darkest places of the heart, but they abide there and wait. He may suffer their memory to grow dim. Let them be as though they had not been, and all but persuade himself that they were not, or, at least, were otherwise. Yet a chance word will call them forth suddenly, and they will rise up to confront him in the most various circumstances, a vision or a dream, or while timbrel and harp soothe his senses, or amid the cool, silver tranquillity of the evening, or at the feast at midnight when he is now filled with wine. Not to insult over him will the vision come as over one that lies under her wrath, not for vengeance to cut off from the living, but shrouded in the piteous vesture of the past, silent, remote, reproachful. The stranger still regarded on the face before him a slow recession of that false calm there, imposed as it seemed by habit or some studied trick upon words so embittered as to accuse in their speaker an unhealthiness, a flair for the cruder things in life. A scene disengages itself from the observer's memory, evoked, it would seem, by a word of so natural a homeliness as if those days were really present there, as some thought, with their immediate pleasures. A shaven space of lawn one soft May evening, the well-remembered grove of lilacs at Roundtown, 
purple and white, fragrant, slender spectators of the game, but with much real interest in the pellets as they run slowly forward over the sward or collide and stop, one by its fellow with a brief alert shock. And yonder, about that grey urn where the water moves at times in thoughtful irrigation, you saw another in his fragrant sisterhood, flowy, atty, tiny, and their darker friend, with I know not what of a resting in her pose then, our lady of the cherries, a comely brace of them pendant from an ear, bringing out the foreign warmth of the skin so daintily against the cool, ardent fruit. A lad of four or five in Lindsay Woolsey, blossom time, but there will be cheer in the kindly hearth when ere long the bowls are gathered and hushed, is standing on the urn, secured by that circle of girlish fond hands. He frowns a little, just as this young man does now, with a perhaps too conscious enjoyment of danger, but must needs glance at whiles towards where his mother watches from the piazzetta, giving upon the flower close with a faint shadow of remoteness or of reproach, Alice Vigenglicke, in her glad look. Mark this father and remember, the end comes suddenly. Enter the antechamber of birth where the studios are assembled and note their faces. Nothing, as it seems there, of rash or violent. Quietude of custody, rather, befitting their station in that house, the vigilant watch of shepherds and of angels about a crib in Bethlehem of Judah long ago. But as before the lightning, the serried storm clouds, heavy with preponderant excess of moisture, and swollen masses turgidly distended, compass earth and sky in one vast slumber, impending above parched field and drowsy oxen, and blighted growth of shrub and verdure, till, in an instant, a flash rives their centres, and with the reverberation of the thunder, the cloudburst pours its torrent. So, and not otherwise, was the transformation, violent and instantaneous, upon the utterance of the word. Burks!